0: up to the final handshake southern arizona's hockey experts breaks down the latest nhl news ahl news and arizona hockey it's time to head inside the glass with rob and eric on 1570 a.m and we are back hello everybody uh, you are listening to Inside the Glass on KAMP 1570 AM in Tucson, Arizona, and camp.arizona.edu, Southern Arizona's original hockey radio show and podcast. I am your host, Rob Liano. For one final time on the Camp Airwaves and joining me via the phone is Eric Clock, talking to you guys about the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs, of course. We're in the middle of the Stanley Cup playoffs, um, so we haven't talked, we haven't been on ...on the podcast or radio show since the end of round one. We kind of previewed Game 7s, or the three Game 7s that were going to happen. So let's kind of talk about those Game 7s very briefly. And let's start off with, you know, the big one, uh, Eric. So, Sharks versus Golden Knights. The Sharks, you know, at first were down 3-1 to in the series. Martin Jones plays fantastic in Game 5. He plays fantastic in Game 6. And Game 7... He the was okay. Sh- yeah, Game 7 he was okay, but it was what the Sharks' offense did after Joe Pavelski's injury, you know, coming back, scoring four goals in uh, a matter of four minutes, taking the lead, forcing overtime eventually. Well, before,
1: before we really go into the four goals, I will say, though, that the second goal shouldn't have counted, the one that looked like it was a high stick.
0: Absolutely. That's, um, that, 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 that's one thing a lot of people were talking about when it comes to controversy and a lot of things like that, and it's interesting to talk about because, you know, the four goals that the Sharks rallied behind after Joe Pavelski got a uh, major head injury uh, was at, was the result of a face-off Cody Eakin cross-check that set him off balance and then a collision with Paul Stastny sending Pavelski to the ice head first and starts bleeding from the head. They yeah. end up giving Cody Eakin a five-minute major, and a game misconduct for that cross-checking penalty. A lot of people are really talking about the controversy about it, saying it shouldn't have been a five-minute major. Even the NHL, actually, apparent from uh, you know what the Golden Knights are saying, what George McPhee is saying, that the NHL called the Golden Knights and apologized, saying they got it wrong. But let me ask you this. Did they get it wrong? I mean... I think it would have at least been a double minor, given that
1: Pavelski was hurt on the play and that it drew blood. So at a bare minimum, San Jose would have been on the power play for four minutes. I mean, maybe they would have just stopped at two goals and it would have just been a 3-2 game with a double minor. But um, regardless, I think that the uh, the fans were really upset in the Shark Tank, as anyone knows that, um, that was watching that game live. Um, And I think that that Pavelski getting hurt the way he did really lit a fire under the Sharks, and they were going to really capture a bunch of momentum from that and rally around that no matter what. Um, So, I mean, I think it would have at least been a double minor. Um, I don't agree with the league calling George McPhee and saying that they got the call wrong. I think that they should have just let it be. Um, Because, you know, I I tweeted about it on Twitter. Um, Rob retweeted it. It was on the Inside the Glass uh, Twitter account, I believe. And I think a bigger reason why it ended up being a major was uh the situation the game was in. I mean the Golden Knights were up three nothing with ten minutes left in that game and they had no reason to be taking liberties um like that the way that they did with Joe Pavelski. You know, so um I think that's a big reason why the there was a major penalty on that play, you know. Uh refs make calls based off of contextual factors all the time and You know, like, that's why they don't really call penalties in overtime. And based off of the contextual factors there, I think that it contributed to it being a major penalty.
0: Yeah, and I totally agree with you on that. And I see a lot of interesting things on, you know, different perspectives from everybody. And I, you know, saw somebody's like, oh, you know, Technically, Paul Stastny, Paul Stastny was the one that ended up resulting in the uh, in the major injury, not Which Cody, I agree with. not Cody, uh, not Cody Eakin. So he was like, "Oh, then maybe just do uh, minors on both of them." And I'm like, "Okay, if you want to go down that route, Paul Stastny gets a double minor because his collision drew blood. Cody Eakin still gets a minor penalty because he cross-checked. We all know cross-check is illegal. You can't cross-check. So right. that's." So that's two minutes and four minutes. So that means the Sharks could have gotten three goals, and that would have tied the game.
1: Yeah. Well, it would have been a two-minute five on three, and then it would have been a, um, a two-minute minor after that. I mean, First of all, I think that the blame is very misdirected in this situation. I mean, I think that, the, that Golden Knights fans and people out there should be um, asking why the Golden Knights penalty kill allowed four goals in a span of five minutes in the first place. You know, because I mean, Rob and I both watch a lot of hockey, and um, we have been for many years, and there are many five-minute major penalties I can recall where, you know, the power play didn't score a single goal, so ultimately, the blame lies with the Golden Knights for um, not keeping the puck out of the net, not with the refs. I mean, bad call or not, it was still the Golden Knights fault for not keeping the puck out of the net, and you know, I don't agree that, I don't think it was the best call in the world, but... It happened, and the Golden Knights should have been able to respond to it. Calls go for and against teams all the time, and the Golden Knights shouldn't view themselves as an exception,
0: yeah, and I think that's one of the biggest things is you know uh Jonathan Masterso said after the game, you know the refs just stole it stole game seven away from us and in my thought, I'm like, okay, it may have been a controversial series, yeah, he said the series, but and like um, and I'm thinking in my head, you know when it, when it comes to game seven they didn't steal the refs didn't steal it from you you guys stole it from yourself because the the golden knights again and people they had a for people who want to remember a 3 to 1 series lead and then in game 7 a 3 goal lead So they had so many chances to close the series against San Jose, but they didn't. San Jose held their ground, and in Game 7, they had that amazing comeback, which everyone's now considering probably one of the greatest last 10 minutes of regulation play anyone has ever seen. Um, And, you know, again, the blame can't be put on the refs for the Golden Knights losing this series. The Golden Knights kind of blew it away themselves.
1: Yeah, they did. I mean, like you said, they had three chances to win that series and close it out. Three separate games where they could have won in advance. Um, they had the three nothing lead with just ten minutes left and then their penalty kill couldn't keep a puck out of the net. Because bad calls happen all the time. They do. It's just that's just how sports go. You know what I mean? But uh and then the Golden Knights didn't respond to that situation correctly, and I don't think it's fair for Marcius though to be uh sounding off in the media that, oh, the refs stole the series and the game away from us. I mean, they should look themselves in the mirror and say, okay, our PK let four goals in, and we lost three straight games to allow the Sharks to advance. So that's my take
0: on it. Another one of the, uh, I guess, blames, not really blames, but, well, blames against the Golden Knights for losing it is games, is specifically what happened in Game 6. Obviously, they couldn't, uh, the Golden Knights couldn't score past Martin Jones for their uh, Further, whatever, 58 saves for, for Jones that game. But, but remember what happened to clinch that game in Game 6 was a shorthanded goal in double overtime.
1: Yeah, I mean, and again, that was another a very good opportunity for Vegas to advance in the series. They were on home ice. I think they were the better team in that game, but they still couldn't find a way to get it done, you know? And then Game 7, you got to give the Sharks a lot of credit for rallying and playing like the better team in that last uh, 10 minutes and uh, playing good hockey against the Golden Knights in that overtime. It was an excellent game. Um, and you know what? The Golden Knights had a really big break earlier in that game. Like I said, that second goal should not have counted. I think that that was actually a really bad call going the other way. And, I mean, somebody might say, okay, well, this you're talking about a five-minute major versus a disallowed goal. But when the refs called that five-minute major, they didn't know that the Sharks were about to pump four goals into the back of the net. You know what I mean? So I think bad calls went both ways, and that game. to be perfectly honest with you.
0: Absolutely. Again, I, I I like that reference that you're making, that the refs didn't know that like that the Sharks would have just, you know, rallied. Because not, I think only, what, once or twice has a team scored four goals in the same power play. And I think one of the major factors of it, and obviously I will say, you know, as a from a Sharks fan perspective, it's rallying behind your captain. The Sharks captain goes out with a major head injury, and you see Logan Couture and Joe Thornton kind of, you know really pump the gas and actually try to take a win in honor of their fallen captain.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's one of their best players, too. Like you said, it's the guy that wears the C. So that was going to fire the Sharks up regardless. If it was a, uh, a double minor, a, uh, a five on three, and then a minor after that, like you were saying earlier, regardless, the Sharks were going to rally behind that. So I think that people are honestly making too big of a deal of this call. Because A, the Golden Knights' penalty kill should have been better, and B, I still think that the Sharks would have gotten a lot of momentum from it.
0: And okay, really quick before we move on to the other, yeah. really quick to the other Game 7s, um, just as a preview to kind of like talk about what's going on, Joe Pavelski still uh, day-to-day, listed this day-to-day, and supposed to miss Game 1 tonight. How does that affect the Sharks for Game 1 against the Avs? I
1: mean, that's a big part of their top line that's out, and we all know how, uh, stacked the Avalanche are up front. Um, I think that the big thing in this series is going to be, um, San Jose's depth out playing, uh, Colorado's top end skill. Cause I honestly think that Colorado has one of the best lines in hockey in, uh, the Miko Rantanen, Gabriel Andeskog, um, Nathan McKinnon line. So I think that. The Sharks are going to have to have four lines that are better and can counteract uh, the top-end skill of Colorado. And if that happens, they can win the series. So missing Joe Pavelke or not, I think that they just need contributions up and down the lineup if they want to uh, beat Colorado. Because I think that's one thing that really went wrong for Calgary in that series. I mean, like Johnny Gaudreau was practically non-existent in that series. And um, there just weren't enough guys on the Flames roster that really stepped up. So I think that that's what you're going to need from the Sharks. So you just need everyone to contribute, especially missing Joe Pavelski. But I think that that's going to hold true for the whole series.
0: Absolutely, we're going to do a little more of an in-depth preview of that series in the second half of this show. But before we do that, let's go ahead and talk about really briefly the other two Game Sevens that happened earlier this week. Just just a brief touch on them because they weren't touched on in our last episode. And let's right, start
1: because they were about to happen.
0: Yeah. So and let's start with the uh boston and uh toronto series um this was a game seven you know where it kept going back and forth back and forth back and forth you know game for game and you know the boston forces a game seven going back home and uh they just took it home like it was nothing what were your thoughts on that
1: well, I knew that Toronto was going to be in a tough spot, especially if they had to go back to Boston and play game seven. I don't know if you remember, but I did say in our pre-playoff show that if the Leafs are going to win the series, which I did pick Toronto, I said that if the Leafs are going to win that series, they're going to win it on home ice in six games because I'm not, I was not confident in Toronto's ability to go into uh, Boston and win a game seven, and that clearly didn't happen. You know, it was a two it was a two one game at one point. You know, John Tavares had the lone goal for Toronto. But just not enough of Toronto's guys showed up. That's that's just my thoughts on it. And I one of the really interesting outcomes one of the really interesting things that's come out of the series are people now questioning um, Mike Babcock's coaching ability. People were talking about how the last five times he had a lead in a playoff series, going back to when he was a coach of the Red Wings uh, he blew each time. So, um, I don't know, maybe they have to start looking at Mike Babcock in Toronto. I mean, I know he's a very good coach, but um, I, as a Red Wings fan, remember him blowing series leads against Chicago, against Tampa Bay. Um, so, it's it's tough, you know. Um, but I just don't think Toronto showed up the way that they should have in such a big game because I think they were more than capable of beating Toronto in that series. I still think that. I mean, they won three games for a reason, but um, just not being able to close out those last two games was unacceptable for them. I think.
0: One of the interesting things post uh, uh, in the in the in the fallout, you know, when the in the what what do they call it? like the locker cleaning media scrum or whatever. Um, they kind of talked to William Nylander, and he actually says now he regrets holding out. I guess because of the effect that that kind of had on him joining back with the team that was already hot. Do you how how much of a factor do you think William Nylander was? Uh, the fact that he held out for that long and kind of joined a team that was already hot.
1: Well, I mean, I think that the two really big things with Nylander was one. He hit the ground running. You know, he didn't attend the Leafs training camp, and no matter how good his off-ice training was and how good his training away from the Leafs was, there was no way he was going to be in game shape and ready to hit the uh, and start playing in the NHL in the middle of December when he did sign. So that was the first harmful effect of it. And then the second one was he was reinserted into a lineup that was already playing very well together and already winning a lot of hockey games. So, A, Nylander wasn't really ready to play how he's capable of playing, and then B, um, I just think that the coaching staff had a hard time slotting him in because they had something working. So, yeah, I do think it was a big factor.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's th- those are things that, like, you really got to take a look at and actually really take an understanding on. Because um, obviously you see how that kind of works. Because, like, you know, you've seen a situation where just one person – whether it be a coach or a player, makes that much of a difference. If a team is cold, one, one player can make them hot. If a team is hot, one player can make them cold. That's, uh, and, I'll, and I'll use the Sharks back, back as an example. You know, at the end of the season when one of their two defensemen, Radim Sumek, went out, um, that really put the Sharks, you know, in a terrible situation down the stretch, and they lost a lot of games. Uh, they finally found their footing back, but still, that tells you kind of how one player really can make a difference.
1: I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, in many ways, hockey is a depth sport where you need a 23-man roster that all plays well together to win a lot of games. Um, but, yeah, those individual players and those individual absences make a lot of a difference, you know, because the entire lineup changes. I mean, if you're going like, to get a guy like William Nylander back, you're going to have to throw him in as a top six forward, and that means that somebody else from Toronto's top six had to go out when he came back in. So you not totally...
0: Yeah, I mean, um, I'm trying to think of any other things to talk about for this series. I mean, obviously, there was uh, a lot going on. Obviously, we talked about, we, we kind of said that Toronto didn't really show up in that Game 7. There's a, But, um, you know, obviously, I, I had Boston winning this series, and I kind of expected it. And, you know, in my original bracket, I had Boston going to the Cup Finals. And uh, you'll find out later on that that might not be the case anymore. Um, but still, I mean, I kind of expected this coming out, but it was... I didn't expect Toronto to have the Game 7 that they had.
1: Yeah, I mean, you really would have hoped that they'd show up more than they did, but for now, a third straight postseason meeting between those two teams, Toronto's uh, going home and heading to the golf tees early, unfortunately for them. But, you know, you got to credit Boston for uh, coming back and rallying and winning those two straight games to win that series. It's not easy to win uh, two games in a row against a team as good as Toronto, but... Yeah, I mean, I think we can move on to uh, Washington and Carolina now. Um, What are your general thoughts on that game? I mean, Washington jumped out to a 2-0 lead in the first period, and then I believe they had a 3-1 lead at one point in the game. This game happened a few nights ago, so I don't remember everything perfectly. And then Carolina had a 2-goal third period to uh, tie things up and send it to Oates. What are your thoughts on
0: it? One thing I'll just say, uh, three words that describe – that that game, Mr. Game seven, Justin Williams again, you know he's he's got that game seven experience, and he showed it in that game with you know for Carolina, and he impressed, I really liked the way he played, and I think he was that leader for a very, very young Carolina team who. You know, doesn't have playoff experience. Obviously, you don't expect a guy like um, no them, them to have it, and they just go out and do do what they did. It was fantastic.
1: Well, he won two cups with L.A. He was on those uh, fantastic L.A. Kings team. So, I mean, he does have all that experience. He's now the leading scorer in NHL history in Game Sevens, which is a really interesting record for somebody to hold. Um, and I think I watched most of the, uh, overtime periods. It ended in double overtime that game did. And, um, it was just clear how much more the Hurricanes wanted to win that game than Washington did. I mean, I think they were out shooting them like it was something like 15 to two in the first overtime period. So it was really bad. Um, it was, uh, Carolina was just vastly outplaying the Capitals and they deserved to win that game based off of how they played in that overtime period you know
0: yeah absolutely and I, and that's the, that, that's the thing too you know it what i still find funny too about the series as a whole seeing how everything got, went out by performance wise the first couple of games i really thought washington was going to take it obviously beforehand before the series started i said carolina would win in 6 um, and they ended winning in 7 of course as as we that's why we're talking about it but um, cuz i didn't think they'd be able to win it over in D.C. because I thought if they had to win it they they would need to win it win the series at home um, and I mean they did rally back obviously but still wow what a performance from them
1: well yeah and, and also to that point that was the first game in that series where the uh, road team won uh, prior to game 7 between Washington and Carolina the home team won every single game um, in that series so yeah it was huge for them to go into D.C. and actually win that but um, yeah, I mean, good for them. I did say in I had Washington winning, but I did say in the pre-playoff uh, prediction show um, that I thought that Carolina would make it a really tough series, and I had Washington in seven for that reason. So, I mean, I wasn't that far off. I still had the incorrect winner, but I knew that Carolina would put up a good fight and good on them for uh, coming out on top.
0: Absolutely, it's going to be very exciting to see what their uh, how, how their second round is going to go against. Uh, New York and that's you know that's gonna be really fun um and yeah I mean what might as well if we're gonna transition to second round matchups since we were just finished talking about Carolina that that's the one we start with
1: yeah I mean I I think that the Islanders are gonna win that series I'll just start off by saying that you know they are they came off they're coming off of a dominating performance against the team that won two out of the last three Stanley Cups in the Pittsburgh Penguins. I mean, the Islanders in that series just completely shut Pittsburgh down. Pittsburgh only had a lead for like five minutes over the course of that entire series or something crazy like that. I mean, I'm not right to the exact minute, but if you look it up, it's somewhere in that neighborhood. I know that going into, uh, game four, when the Islanders were about to sweep them, they only had a lead in that series for four minutes and some uh, number of seconds in the series. So, I mean, you're, you're, you have an Islanders team that's extremely well rested, extremely well coached, that put up a really good performance against a very good team playing against the Hurricanes that barely beat the Capitals. And I know that the Capitals are a very good team, also, but I think that you have to give—I um, think that you have to give the edge in that series to the Islanders just because of how good they were against Pittsburgh, how much more rest they have, and um, and the coaching. Barry Trotz so is a huge X factor too.
0: I was just about to say that if you're gonna take if you're gonna take a winner on here, you gotta take it down to coaching. Uh you when we're talking trots versus Brendan Moore, obviously I'll take Trotz any day. Now, Barry Trotz, he's been a phenomenal coach. He, of course, i this is the coach that brought the Washington Capitals the two thousand eighteen Stanley Cup. Um and you just see the way he turned around the Islanders, that tells you another factor.
1: Yeah, I mean absolutely playing pretty much over the course of this entire semester. He's pretty much a lock to win the Jack Adams at this point. Um, and when you watch the Islanders, as I've said before, you know, you can just see how well coached they are, how good their systems are, how good they are just, you know, clearing loose pucks in front of nets, you know, making sure the other teams don't really get those grade A scoring chances. I mean, they were able to neutralize Sidney Crosby in that series. Sidney Crosby, Crosby only had him. one assist in that entire series, and it came in game four. One of the best players in NHL history, like him or not. Um, so, yeah, I think that you absolutely have to credit Barry Trotz with um, that performance by the Islanders. Because like so many people have said before, I mean, that same team plus John Tavares missed the postseason last year. And now without John Tavares and with Barry Trotz behind the bench, uh, they moved on to the second round and sleep- and swept the Pittsburgh Penguins.
0: I love how you mentioned uh, John Tavares because I think I saw a tweet by somebody too, and this is kind of kind of a little bit off topic, but I guess somewhat, somewhat within the same realm, is they said that you know John Tavares met with I believe like what four teams in the uh, in the off season with New York, with Toronto, with Dallas, and with San Jose. New York, Dallas, and San Jose are all in the second round of the playoffs, and the one team he chose is out in the first round.
1: Yeah, I mean. Uh, I mean, Toronto had a really tough draw playing Boston in that first round. But, I mean, at the same time, I don't think you can give the Leafs a pass based off of who they had to play in the first round. Because if you look at every postseason matchup this year, there wasn't a single easy series. I mean, for the first time in NHL history, um, all four division champions lost their first round series. For the first time in NHL history, the two top seeds and the two top conference seeds um, heading into the postseason, lost in the first round. So, I mean, there was no walk in the park out there in terms of any playoff series out there. So,
0: I think it should, I mean, I think it should all should be said, though. Not You said it's the first time in NHL history that all four division winners are out. It's the first time in all in, in the history of the four major sporting leagues in the United States.
1: That that has happened? I mean, I'm not surprised. It's, we just witnessed some... But I mean, my point though that no team going into these playoffs had an easy opponent in the first round, and I don't think that the Leafs should be given a pass for that. And you know, Tavares is still under contract for six more years now in Toronto. I mean, i I would hope that with John Tavares off and and maybe much smarter on the team, who knows what happens with his contract? I mean, they're they're going to try their hardest to keep him, but I mean, who knows? I, I, you would hope that Toronto would come uh, out of the first round at least once uh, when Tavares is on the team.
0: Absolutely, they, like there's a lot of things you'd have to think about on, on how they'd have to attack that. Um, you know, they still had a couple years. John Tavares has signed what a seven-year deal with them, and um, and who knows what can what, how the next couple years is going to go. Obviously, next year. Uh, they're gonna to have to decide what to do with uh, after next year. They're gonna decide what to do with Patrick Marlowe's contract because he's entering his final year, uh, and you know Patrick Marlowe's is gonna be 40 years old by then. So that's another factor too. So do you want to keep a guy who's 40 years old? Obviously, he's one of the leaders of the team, kind of you know as like you know as a uh, veteran. But those are kind of fa- those are some decisions that they're gonna to have to make over the next couple of years if they want to keep contending.
1: Well, I mean, I think that Patrick Marleau was extremely important for Toronto to bring in a couple of seasons ago because they really did need a veteran guy that's been around in the league for as long as Patrick Marleau has to really mentor guys like Austin Matthews, William Nylander, and Mitch Marner along. I mean, and I think that he was actually instrumental in the Leafs' turnaround for that reason. Because, I mean, if you look at other teams around the league that uh, started rebuilding around the same time as Toronto. I mean, we can't forget that back in the 2015-16 season that Toronto was the worst in the league, and that's how they got out of us. Nasty. So their rebuild um, ended remarkably mm-hmm. quick. And I really think that the veteran leadership of Patrick Marlowe was a big factor because if you look at other teams that have been rebuilding like Edmonton, like Buffalo, you know, I just don't think that they had the veteran leadership really to... Show the young kids how to get it done, and they did that part right in Toronto. So, I mean, the question is, do the young players in Toronto still need the presence of a guy like Patrick Marleau? Who knows? Um, I, I mean, you have to at least consider it because I think
0: that he's been a big part of the Leafs' turnaround. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. But before, like, you know, like, we, we can talk about that all day, but you know, we should probably stay on track with talking about the second round. Um, then let's just, talk, let's just kind of, I guess make predictions on this, like, like I guess in terms of games and whatever on this New York, Carolina series. Oh, um, oh. where, where I do you... my phone cut out for a second? No, okay. yeah, so yeah, we're just gonna you know make our predictions for the uh, New York Carolina series. Um, where do you have this one going? Find, just to as a prediction. Um, I'm gonna take five. You actually cut out just a sec right before you said the team, so just go ahead and. Say oh that. yeah,
1: okay. I'm gonna take the Islanders in five.
0: Okay, then, you know that's not that's and that's a good show and that's a good decision to make, and I and I think I actually totally agree with you on that because the because uh, again you know we're talking about Carolina and they've got good, they've got solid teams you know, Um, Sveshnikov and Aho and um and Justin Williams they're great players but I mean, I don't know if they can get past uh two three games against this New York team.
1: Okay, I'll put it this way. I'll frame the question this way. Are the Carolina Hurricanes a more skilled hockey team than the Pittsburgh
0: Penguins? Uh no, I wouldn't I wouldn't think so.
1: Exactly. Okay, and what did the Islanders just do to the Pittsburgh Penguins? I
0: swept them out.
1: Exactly. I think that I have a really hard time seeing uh Carolina win that series for that reason. So, yeah, I think that the Islanders are moving on to the Eastern Conference Final. It'd be a bit different if uh the Islanders were playing Washington right now. I think that that series would have been a lot tougher. But Carolina's the opponent, and I don't really think that they're um going to put up that much of a fight against the Islanders. I mean, credit them for having a remarkable year and uh punching their tickets to the postseason for the first time since 2009. But I think this is the end of the road.
0: Absolutely, and I totally agree with you on that. And actually, I agree with you on the number of games too. I do believe that the New York Islanders will uh, take it in five. And I just think, especially since that's on their home ice, which no no longer is at the Barclays Center. Uh, I mean, no longer at the Nassau Coliseum. It's at the Barclays Center this time. So we'll see how that turns out. But
1: yeah, it's really interesting how they're doing that. They're they're playing at the Barclays Center for round 2 and if they make it to the conference finals it goes back to Nassau and if they go all the way to the cup final then it would be at Barclays Center
0: yeah it just it just sounds so weird to me but hey you know as whatever it takes to keep their fans engaged yeah and- I mean
1: they've been splitting time between both arenas all year and it's a really weird situation, the arena situation in New York, and I do think that is actually a factor in Savaru's leaving uh slightly. Um, but I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Maybe that home ice advantage isn't gonna be as strong for New York this time around. That's actually a good point to bring up. I was I didn't even think of that when I was uh when I was uh, just talking about my prediction a second ago, but it'll be interesting to see how the series goes now on home ice for New York now that they're no longer playing in front of uh, the core of their fan base out on uh, Long Island.
0: Right, but I mean, either way, we still have New York winning, I think, just because of the just the just the, the different skill offset here. Yeah. Uh, um, but now let's take a look at the other t- uh, series here in the. Eastern Conference, and that's the Boston Bruins against the Columbus Blue Jackets. This is going to be an interesting one. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I watched um, parts of Game 1. I actually saw the replay of it this morning on NHL Network. You know how they like do those like abbreviated um, replays of the game where they squeeze it into an hour and kind of just fast-forward between the, uh, the interesting bits of the game? Yeah. And it was a really interesting game because in the first period, um, Columbus was heavily outshot and outplayed by Boston. They did... Boston did score only one goal in that first period. So Sergey Bobrovsky really kept the um, Blue Jackets in the game in that period. And then you had a scoreless second period. And then Columbus scores two goals in the third to make it a 2-1 game, 13 seconds apart only. Um, and then Boston uh, scores again, sends it to OT, and wins an OT. Um It was a a better game than I thought it would be. Actually, no, I wasn't really counting Columbus out going into that series. I mean, I I do have Boston winning the series. Um, But, I mean, it's hard to count a team like Columbus out, given what they just did to the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. And, um, you know, I liked the way that they played yesterday. They played Boston tough. I mean, it was a one-shot game that went to uh, overtime, you know. If if uh, Columbus found the back of the net in OT, which they easily could have, that the series would be one nothing right now. You know, so I think it's going to be a very good series, um, but I'm going to go Boston in six.
0: Interesting, interesting decision. I mean, obviously, you know, picking the uh, the higher seed, and which makes sense. Uh, it's to me, it's interesting because. I, you're talking about you know the fact that you can't count out Columbus everything like that, and especially for what they did to Tampa Bay, but I think that, I think the the question really is at least for me is can they keep that up all playoffs long, especially against um, especially with the fact that they haven't seen game action in well over a week, so how are they going to be able to keep the momentum up I mean again we, you had the you had them that play yesterday and they played decently well. They looked good. Minus the first period, they looked good yesterday. And I think maybe that's the, maybe that's their key, you know, that their first period just isn't necessarily their best in the series. So maybe they're going to keep, you know, r- ramping up the momentum. And and I think that's the kind of thing is I forgot what I put in my bracket challenge honestly. But I'm now that I think think and think about this series is I think really in, like. Looking at it in all angles here, I do think Columbus can take this one. And I, I, I think that in order for them to do it, they'd have to go over distance. But I do think that Columbus can take this one.
1: Well, I think that one thing you have to remember, too, in this series is that Boston's a much tougher team to play against than Tampa Bay. Um, you know, they're a lot more physical. They're They're very skilled team. I mean, you had uh, Tampa Bay being upset by Boston in the second round in the original bracket, you know, when everyone expected them just to cruise past uh, Columbus. Um, so Boston's a very good team, obviously, you know. Um, and they're a tough team to play against, you know, physically because they just have so much size up front. They were a lot of really physical players. Um, but yeah, you know, you're right. You can't count Columbus out, but I think that that's going to be the difference maker in the series, and that's why I have Boston taking it.
0: All right, so you have uh, Boston in six, right? Yeah, and I did these picks before last
1: night's game, too. I did the, the second chance bracket on NHL.com, so this is not me uh, retroactively checking uh, my picks because of what happened last night.
0: Yeah, and um, I again, I forgot what my second chance bracket said, but... Um, I know in my second chance bracket I no longer have Boston going to the cup final. I'll kind of talk about that later. But um, you know what? And again, I, I'll just say it. I'll say Columbus takes it in seven.
1: Columbus takes it in seven. So then you have a uh, a New York um, Columbus conference final. That'd be a really interesting one. Two teams that a lot. Well, actually, no. People expected Columbus to be a playoff team this year, but. Um, No one expected New York. But that'd be a very interesting Eastern Conference final, a matchup that we've never seen before, you know, because Columbus hasn't even been past the first round at any point in franchise history until now. So, yeah, that'd be interesting. But um, I'm going with a uh, New York-Boston
0: Eastern Conference final. And I think the cool thing is if you were to have a Columbus versus New York Eastern Conference finals, we're talking about one team who's, of course, never won and one team who hasn't won in, like, over 30 years yeah I mean
1: obviously the islanders had that dynasty back in the early eighties where they won four straight family cups, but the franchise hasn't seen much success since then so obviously um there's been a lot of t- a lot of time as- between they were lost when they were lost a really really good team in the NHL so yeah it'd be cool um it'd be cool eastern conference final to see you know a couple of new opponents, a couple of teams that haven't really have either not done anything in a while or haven't done anything ever, so that'd be cool. Boston's a different story. They've been a good team for the better part of the past decade.
0: Absolutely. Um, So moving on from the East to the West, let's go ahead and start off with one that a lot of people are kind of dismissing as a dis— I would not say uninteresting, but very disinteresting— playoff series and that's the blues versus the stars. I'm I don't know I'm honestly not sure what to make of this one. It's kind of again, to me, I'm a bit disinterested in this series. I actually think that it's a really interesting series. I was talking to my dad about
1: the playoff series the other day and the funny thing is is I was actually telling him that 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 is one of the series I'm most looking forward to. Um <laughs> funny to hear you say that. But um you no, know, I'm really looking forward to that series because, you know, St. Louis obviously was a great story this year, you know, Jordan Jordan Bennington um, doing what he did, coming up mid season, winning eleven of his first twelve starts, and uh, leading the blues past the Winnipeg Jets after being last place in the NHL with the twenty calendar year. You know, so I I'm excited for to see the Blues and how they play in the second round. And then I thought that Dallas was really fit they helped Nashville's power play scoreless in fire first. And they played a really tight, good defensive game against Nashville, one of the better defensive teams in the NHL. Um, so I actually think it's a really interesting matchup. And their game yesterday was good, too, um, St. Louis and, uh, and Dallas. I mean, it was a 1-1 game in the second period, and then two quick goals by Vladimir Tarasenko in the third period gave St. Louis a 3-1 lead. And then the Stars scored in the last five minutes to make it 3-2. It was a quality hockey game, and it's a really good matchup. Between two teams that I think are very well built, so I really like the the series, and I think that Dallas is going to take it. That's my pick. That's my uh, low seed upset pick. It's my only one of the second round where I didn't take the higher seed. Um, I'm taking Dallas in seven. Obviously, they lost last night, but I, I'm still sticking behind the stars. Um, but actually, no, I really like the
0: matchup. I think the I think the question is, and who's gonna, if with who's going to take this series at least in on my side and it always breaks down the goes down the goaltenders like i mean i wouldn't say always but i guess 80 to 90% of the, t- of the time it does so now we're talking who's really going to be more hot is it going to be jordan Bennington? or is it going to be ben bishop um and bennington has been really really hot um and i liked his, i really liked his performance against winnipeg even against that Winnipeg Whiteout fan base that was like, you know, we t- we, everyone knows that that's a tough place to play, and he played fantastic. Um, it, it, even on all the people who are like, oh, he's a super young guy, and I don't know if he can do it. Remember, keep in mind that, you know, about, what was it, like nine years ago, the uh, Chicago Blackhawks had a guy that not very many people knew named Auntie Niemi. He goes on and just destroys everybody and wins the Cup.
1: Yeah, and then the very next year, he signed with the Sharks and left because uh, the Blackhawks couldn't afford to keep him. Um, but, yeah, so, no, you're right. That's a very good point to bring up, you know, the whole Jordan Biddington um, storyline that's going on right now. Um, and, yeah, I agree with you, actually, to a large extent on that. I really do think that this series is going to come down to goaltending gone, you know, if Jordan Biddington can outplay Ben Bishop and vice versa. Um but I think that the difference maker in the series is going to, for Dallas, is going to be the uh, the outstanding play that their uh, blue lines had. You know, John Klingberg and Miro Heiskanen were excellent against uh, Nashville, and I really think that those guys are going to help uh, drive the offense from the back end for Dallas, and they're going to come away with a win in that series.
0: Okay, so both of us having this one going this the distance, because I'm going to say I have this one going to seven. However, I am going to give this one to St. Louis, because I just think, I'm just going to ride the hot hand with Bennington. That's just me. Like, No, and I can definitely
1: see that. I can definitely
0: respect that
1: pick. Um, it's going to be a good one. It's going to be a tightly contested series. Dallas is a very good team, and so is St. Louis. Um, I don't think at the beginning of the year anyone would have guessed that the two central division would be uh, Dallas and St. Louis. I mean, everybody was still shooing in um, Winnipeg and Nashville for that second-round central matchup. Uh, pretty much when the puck dropped it for the first game this season um right up until recently, so um I mean, I believe that's even what you had in your first round bracket, so I think that the matchup is also a bit interesting because of that you know it''s very, very unexpected. nobody would have thought this, or very few people would have
0: absolutely i yeah i don't, I don't yeah not, no one will expect it would expect it that one bit just because of the way of the other the The top two teams in the Central usually play in the playoffs, and I guess they just couldn't pull it through against these other two teams. Well, it was especially last year, because last year Winnipeg finished second in the league in points, and
1: then uh, Nashville obviously won the President's Trophy, as everyone knows, uh, especially after them raising the uh, banners the way that they did last season, um, which people are still kind of laughing about. Um, But, you know... Yeah, yeah, no, totally. I mean, I think that that was a big factor too and people expecting that so much was how well those teams played in the regular season last year and how brutal that second-round series was
0: last year. Absolutely. Um, so, again, you have Dallas in seven. I have St. Louis in seven. It um, It is going to be, I guess, saying disinteresting for me was, was not the right term. It's just, I guess... Compared to the other uh, ones, I'm not going to be paying attention as close. But it is an interesting uh, matchup, just based off that whole storyline. And I think that's one of the. I think it's going to be a. uh, It's going to be an interesting finish to how to uh, an interesting central division.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, So I think yeah, we can move on to San Jose and Colorado. It's the final um, second round series that we need to break down.
0: Yeah, absolutely. This is an interesting series in different ways because what's what really gets me is you know so many people dismissed Colorado, you know, immediately saying that you know Calgary was going to go and you know you know win it in five. Colorado ended up winning in five, of course, and you know, and now they're they're like, oh no, Colorado's going to easily beat San Jose, and I'm like. What are you talking about? Uh, yes, I do think that Colorado has a great top line, but what what about past that? Okay, they do got it. They they picked up K.O. Makar and a couple other guys, but you're talking about them going up against a San Jose Sharks team that has depth. They don't have Pavelski, but look, they're putting they're slotting up uh, based off I saw the lines for tonight's game. Uh, Gus Nyquist is moving up to the first line to take Pavelski's minutes and they're moving down and they're they're swapping the second and third line. So Joe Thornton and Kevin LeBanc is moving up to the second line and uh, Tomasz Hurdle and Evander Kane are going on the third line. Look at that. Interesting. Like, just look at the way that goes. I mean, that kind of tells you to the depth of the Sharks' team. And honestly, that's a
1: that's a surprising choice. I'm sorry. I have to just stop you right there. I don't know why Pete DeBoer is moving Kane down to the third line. I thought he was one of the Sharks' best players during that game seven, um, especially during OT. You know, he was consistently creating chances, you know, driving harder than net, doing all the stuff that Vander Kane does well. Um, that's a very questionable decision in my book.
0: I think it's just a way to shuffle it up because of what's going, I, because of the injury, not only to uh, Joe Pavelski but also to Jonas Donskoy. Donskoy is 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 not supposed to be playing in Game One either. And they're putting uh, Lucas Radio on the second line, and they're putting in, uh, I believe it's uh, Dylan Gambrell on the fourth line, because they're because tr- they're trying to you know fill in those gaps with the kind of players that the players' style or that go on each line.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can see that. And they're trying to spread out the lineup a bit more because they know that that uh, Colorado is going to have a really difficult time matching up against San Jose uh, once they get past their top two lines or even their top line. So, I mean, that's probably a factor in it, too, in addition to um, the injuries that you mentioned to Don and Um But I you know why I, I think a lot of people are picking Colorado to win the series? Um I think that they're taking them to win because I think a lot of people don't like the way that San Jose won their series against Vegas. Because Vegas was really good in the three games that they beat San Jose. San Jose just looked beat down. And they were, quite frankly, really bad in each of those three losses that they uh, had against the Golden Knights in the first round. Um, and well, they deserved to win game six or seven either.
0: And again, you know who was missing in half of game two. All of Game Three and all of Game Four.
1: Oh, this isn't my opinion. I'm just saying what I think. Um, a lot of people are thinking around the hockey world.
0: And again, I, I and I know that, and I'm just and I'm still pointing that out to the people who are saying that Mark Edward Vlasic, guys, was not present for half of Game Two, all of Game Three, and all of Game Four. And I will keep repeating that he played in Game Five, Sharks win. He played in Game Six, Sharks win. He played in Game Seven, Sharks win. I I. Honestly, yes, you can say that, you know, the Golden Knights were still the better team in Game 6 and, you know, for a good part of Game 7. But still, regardless of that, Market Vlasic's presence on the ice made a difference enough for the Sharks to come back from that 3-1 series deficit and the Sharks to come back. And I think it's going to make a big difference if you can have Market Vlasic paired up with the Rantanen line. That's a way to stop them, because he because they put they put Vlasic on to stop the Paderetti line and it worked.
1: Yeah, I mean, no, you're absolutely right. I mean um a good shutdown guy like um like Mark Everett Vlasic is gonna be really good and uh Key against the McKinnon line and uh, shutting down um all of the offenses they created against uh, Calgary. But I'm just saying that I think that's why a lot of people are picking Colorado to win this year. And then Colorado looked really good against Calgary. You have to remember that Calgary won all those games during the regular season uh, to win Western conference for a reason, you know, they didn't get there by accident. So, I mean, I think that's why a lot of people are still picking Colorado. I'm not, I'm still picking San Jose to win. I think that San Jose is the best team left in the Western conference. Um, I think that Martin Jones is going to start playing with a bit more confidence. I think he's going to start playing a bit uh, more out of his head. You know, I think that he, his mental game wasn't the strongest in the first round, and I think with uh, a couple of wins under his belt now, those last three games in the uh, in the first round uh, is really going to help him along, and that's going to give San Jose what they need to beat the Avalanche. That's kind of my opinion.
0: I think another thing when it comes to something like a series like this, and I didn't talk about it in any of the other series, and you know, and, and it could be a valid point for any of them, but you know, there's that massive debate of rest versus rust, you know, of a team that has had a week off versus a team that literally just finished three days ago. Um, is there uh, is there a factor in that? I think there could be uh, to a point, to to an extent, you know, a team that's just Really been pumping their uh, uh, pumping out game action for a while, or a team that's been just resting. I honestly, it's going to make things more interesting on that point. I don't think it's going to be easy for San Jose by any means, but I think it's. Uh, but I do think San Jose is the better team here, and San Jose is going to come out. Obviously, you know it's. And- no, I
1: agree that San Jose is the better team. Absolutely.
0: And, you know, at least, even from someone from me, you know, as the listeners know, I'm a huge Sharks fan. And I'm trying to take that out of me as best as possible to kind of give a objective opinion. And that's really what my objective opinion says. San Jose right now is the better team. And that's based, based off all the observations I've made from both series and everything like that. Yes, Joe Pavelski's injury is going to be a big factor in Game 1. But remember, we're, this Game 1 is at the Shark Tank, and these fans are fired up.
1: Well, I will say one thing. There's one point I really want to address from what you just said, the whole uh, rust versus, you know, a team that literally just finished playing uh, a couple days ago against the Golden Knights. That really could go either way because, you know, Colorado is rusted. They're not banged up. They don't have those bruises, you know, from just that going through a brutal first-round series against Vegas. You know, the Sharks are a lot fresher. So I think that that really could factor in either way, you know, because if uh, the Colorado Avalanche come out rusty, and uh, don't come out strong against San Jose, um, it won't go well for them, but, you know, obviously the Sharks are very banged up. They're missing two very important players, and I'm sure that quite a few other guys in the lineup um aren't doing that great physically just because of how tough that first-round series was against Vegas. It had the most penalty minutes out of every first-round series, and um, it just seems like there were scrums constantly in that series. So, I think that there was more wear and tear than usual from that first round series against Vegas than most.
0: And I think the, I think that's a good point to make. And I and one of the interesting things is you know everyone knows that San Jose and Vegas you know they always matched up so tough against each other. They would kind of be you know always even during the regular season. All during last year, it was always an incredibly tough uh, rivalry, and it's become one of the one of a it's become a premier rivalry of modern NHL and. The, And I think that made a factor in how tough that series was, absolutely. And who knows how this is going to turn out now that goes shits back to Colorado. The last time the Sharks played Colorado in the playoffs was 2010, and that one took a while. 2010? Wait. Wasn't 2009 the year that the Sharks won
1: the President's Trophy and the Avalanche upset them?
0: That was the Ducks.
1: That was the Ducks. Okay. So I thought it was the Avalanche for some reason. I'm trying to think back to uh, previous matchups between these teams.
0: No, so 2010 was, if I'm not mistaken, uh, it was the Sharks versus the Avs in the first round, and that was the—because I remember the goaltenders, too, was getting the, the back for the Sharks versus Craig Anderson for the uh, Colorado Avalanche. Obviously, you can now tell how old this, you know, nine years can make a difference— um, and then I think it's the year after that was, uh, Sharks Red Wings and then, uh, Sharks Blackhawks. And then, you know, Sharks get swept by the Blackhawks in the conference finals. But yes, yeah, so that's what the last time that they played each other was in round one of 2010.
1: Okay. Oh, yes. So the upset that I was thinking of though was, oh, Colorado did upset somebody and played Detroit in the second round back then. I thought they upset San Jose. I was mistaken. But yeah, no, it's interesting to bring in the, uh, not to get sidetracked, it's interesting to bring in the series history always, you know, especially with guys with long tenure as Joe Thornton on the San Jose Sharks. You know,
0: I think Pavelski would have still been around in those days, would he have been? Um, I, I, he was in 2011, i can't I'm trying to remember what his presence was like in 2010. I know 2010 was mostly Marlow, Thornton, uh, let's see. I think we have Vla- definitely Vlasic. Um, I'm trying to think who was Setaguchi, Rob Blake, Dan Boyle, Ryan Klo. That that's the, that was the core.
1: Okay, yeah. So pretty much just Joe Thornton's the only part of that core that's remaining. You know, but still, I mean, I think that people are being very unfair to uh, count San Jose out in that series, especially considering um, the fact that Colorado was was um. That, you know, even a team like Montreal in the East was better than Colorado, and Montreal didn't make the playoffs, and Colorado did. Colorado was the worst team in the regular season to make the postseason, and I know they played really well against Calgary. I mean, I still think that we should talk about that, you know, that the Colorado Avalanche weren't that good of a team throughout the season. Um, that they clearly don't have the same skill that San Jose does.
0: Absolutely. And, I, and um, that, and that's why, of course, both you and I have San Jose winning this series. Um, I honestly, can't, I'm trying to, I'm flip-flopping between the numbers here. And I think, personally, I'm going to, and this might be just a little bit of my bias in me, but I'm going to have Sharks in five.
1: Sharks in five?
0: Uh, I mean,
1: I'm not going to disrespect that pick. But, I mean, I'm going to give it the uh, Avalanche two wins in that series. I'm going to say San Jose in six. You know, I'm. they're still a pretty good team, you know, despite what I just said. Um, and they played really well against Calgary, so I feel like I have to give them a bit of the benefit of the doubt and give them a couple of wins in that series. But I still think that San Jose takes it and goes on to the Western Conference Final against Dallas.
0: I will say this, that if San Jose or is missing Joe Pavelski long-term, then, yeah, I will say the Avalanche takes an extra game or two. Maybe even, yeah, so up to three games max. But Well, yeah, obviously. That's that's the max number of games they could take with the Sharks still winning it. Exactly. But, but yeah, I mean, yeah, San Jose still wins this, at least regardless. Um, If Pavelski comes back for Game 2, I think the Sharks are going to be able to be ready to take it. Um, That's just me, but... um, but yeah, so I have the Sharks moving on, and there's going to be a rematch in the in the conference finals between the St. Louis Blues and and San Jose Sharks. The rematch going back to the 2016 Western Conference Finals. Yeah, that's right. That's going to be an interesting matchup when that if that happens.
1: Yeah, sure there's going to be a lot of. Um... Familiarity there too, because 2016 wasn't that long ago. A lot of guys that were on St. Louis back then are still on that team, and same goes for the Sharks. So that, that'll be really interesting if that's what ends up uh, happening for sure. Um, but uh, so, okay, so who do you think wins the uh, Western Conference final then? Why don't we finish off our uh, second round bracket since we both did the second chance thing? All
0: right, so I have in the Western Conference once again, uh, as I said in the original bracket, San Jose. I said San Jose would beat the Avalanche in the second round, and I said they'd beat Winnipeg, which obviously, that's not going to happen, in the conference finals. I still think the Sharks are going to win the conference finals and move on to the Stanley Cup finals on that Western Conference side. And just to kind of round it out on the Eastern Conference side so I don't have to repeat myself, uh, once again, I have the New York Islanders against the Columbus Blue Jackets, and I have the New York Islanders going and advancing to the uh, Stanley Cup Final in this second chance bracket.
1: So you have a New York uh, San Jose Stanley Cup Final, and then obviously the Sharks winning the Cup. I'm guessing. Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, then I'll, I, I mean, I have the Sharks going to the Stanley Cup Final too. I do think that in the event that they play uh, the Stars in the Conference Final, that San Jose will easily beat the Stars. Um, I mean, barring. Uh, miraculous performances by ben bishop and awful performances by martin jones which are both capable of happening you know um, but i do think that the sharks are going to go to that stanley cup final and then in the east um we i have a uh, boston new york eastern conference final i think that boston's going to take that eastern conference final series they'll play the sharks in the stanley cup final and then i say that boston beats uh san jose the cup final
0: Alright, so that's what the predictions are. Um, we are actually out of time, unfortunately, because we are on the live show. Um, but, you know, I do want to thank everybody for tuning in. Throughout these... I, I, I'll i say this, I'll, because this is my last live show on Camp Sports Radio. This is not the end of Inside the Glass. Inside the Glass will stay as a podcast. But this is my last live show for Inside the Glass on Camp Radio. Um, really, guys, the last... Three years because Inside the Glass has been on for three years. Before that, if you remember, it was any given Sunday. I just changed the name, um, but again, it's been a phenomenal three years of Inside the Glass. I've you know so many memories. You know, going through this. You know, starting by myself, bringing in Rachel last year. I thought she would she did a great job for one semester, and then Eric, you came in. You know, to uh, help finish off this live show, um, radio show, and podcast. And it's it's been amazing the last couple of years.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I really think anyone who's, uh, listened to the show throughout its, uh, time on the air, even when, uh, before I was on it, but especially when I was on it, uh, later on, I definitely had a lot of fun coming on with Rob and talking hockey, uh, with you guys for the better part of the last three semesters. So, you know, it's been a great experience and I'm, uh, really happy that I got into it. And I'm really happy that Rob introduced me to it because Rob, if it wasn't for Rob, I wouldn't be doing any of this. So, uh, thanks to you, Rob.
0: Absolutely. And once again, like I said, this is not the end of Inside the Glass. If you want to keep tuning in to Inside the Glass episodes, we host podcasts on Anchor.fm, which automatically distributes to anywhere you can hear a podcast. Now, you know, my favorite place is Spotify or Google Podcasts because that's too easily accessible for me. But you can also use Apple or, again, whatever podcast platform you want to listen to. We'll be Eric and I will be doing a lot, maybe even through the summer, through the playoffs or whatever, as best we can because, you know, uh, Inside the Glass is never going to die. And is it going to stay Southern Arizona's hockey podcast? We might do. I still might do some Southern Arizona things. But once again, I don't know where I'm going to end up moving to, whether it be, uh, you know, still here or back home in the Bay Area. But Inside the Glass is going to stay and for the, at least for years to come. All right. Yeah. Great show, Rob. Anyways, once again, thanks everyone for tuning in. This was Inside the Glass on KAMP 1570 AM, and this has been Rob Liano alongside Eric Clock, and we'll see you guys on the other side.